And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flowers, the grass withers, and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We like to say a couple of things around here. Uh, we say this regularly. If you've been here any time at all, you've probably heard me say this. And that is, we are worse than we realize. Sin's grip on our hearts is, more, is tighter than we, than we know. We're more entangled in sin than we realize. That's the bad news. The good news is that God's love for us in Christ is far greater than we could ever imagine. It surpasses knowledge. It's, it's unsearchable in its depth. And so those two truths, I think, are really important for uh, centering us in the world. Like our fundamental problem as, as humans is that our heart is bent in on itself. It's fundamentally selfish. And that selfishness of the human heart manifests itself in a couple of ways. It can manifest itself in the form of pride. I'm better than you. It can manifest itself in the form of fear. What's going to happen to me? You're better than me. What's, going to, what's that going to mean? Fear and pride. And those two truths of, of, of our sin helps deal with the pride that exists in our hearts. God's love and his care helps deal with the fear that often entangles our hearts. So as we fall deeper and deeper into these truths of who we are and God's love for us in Christ, it helps situate us in the world. And this passage this morning takes us deep into those two truths. It takes us deep into those realities of our sin, on the one hand, and God's love for us in Christ. So we're going to explore that this morning. We, we've looked at this passage a long time ago, uh, before the pandemic, which seems like you know, ages ago. Uh, February of 2020, we, we did a Bible study, and we looked at this passage here. And so I felt like it was worth returning to uh, because it's so fundamental so we got two points this morning. Our, our predicament, we're going to look at our predicament, which is verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to consider God's intervention, verses 4 through 10. So our predicament, God's intervention. Now here's the thing. We live in a culture that has minimized the place of God in the world. Uh, we've, we've pushed God. If, if, if he's there at all, we've kind of pushed him to the margins of our life. I feel like he, he really doesn't need to inform the, 
the way we live our lives. And so as, as we've done that, we've, at the same time, we've inflated uh, the self. We've given the self uh, more authority. We, 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 we believe the potential of the self is just, there's no ceiling to it. Um, you can conquer your dreams. You're the captain of your own life. That's what we believe. You are the captain of your own life. And what Paul says in these three verses sucks the wind out of that sail. He says, no, you're not. You're not. And we're going to look at it now. Look at, look, let's look at, and here's another thing. Let me say this. Now, our modern ears think, well, wait a second. I'm not the captain of my life. Oh, no, this is, this is, this is bad news. And what I want to say is this is actually really liberating. This is really liberating. If you are living your life trying to do something that is physically, spiritually, emotionally, humanly impossible, that's a despairing thing. But if you give up, maybe something good can happen. We're going we're to get to that in, just in, in a moment. Let's, let's look at verse 1. What, what does Paul say to the church at Ephesus? He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And so, so right there out of the gate, what does Paul say? You were dead. You're dead. In your sins and trespasses. Right? How much hope does a dead person have? How much ability to change their circumstances does a dead person have? How much will and ambition and power does a dead person have? Spiritually dead. None. They're, they're, they're just impotent. They, they have no power to do anything to change. But not just that. We walked in trespasses. And sins. Now, the word, there's a little difference here between these two words. Trespasses refers to an overt wrong, um, just an overt transgression. I know the line, and I'm going, just going to rebelliously cross it. That's a transgression. Sin has kind of the connotes missing the mark, failing. I I tried, but I just can't do it. You think think of a player on a on an athletic team, like a professional sports team. There's a couple of ways to get off that team. One, you show that you miss the mark. You don't have the athleticism and the ability to play any longer, so they kick you off. You don't make the cut any longer. Another one is to violate team policy. You do something that's clearly forbidden by the team. You violate team policy. Well, we, Paul says we've done both. We've both transgressed the law, and we've also missed the mark of what we were created to do. And we're dead. Okay, that's like, this is really bad news. Okay? Verse 2, it gets worse. Um, Verse 2, and we were following the course of this world. We were locked in, shackled, you might say, to the patterns of this world. Not only are we dead, but we're enslaved. We're enslaved to the patterns of the world, Paul says. In verse 2, not just that, but we're also enslaved to, to, the, to the devil, is, is what Paul says. He, was, he says, verse 2, we were following, before our coming to Christ, following the prince of the power of the air, which is a reference to, um, to Satan. It's, we're following unseen spiritual forces. They have a pull, they have an attraction, and we're locked in to their ways. And, and you see that language, the prince of the power of the air, it's, it's describing kind of this foggy atmosphere. It's murky on this road of the devil, right? It's, it's murky. You can't see. It's, 
it's, it's, it's um, hard to, to see what's what. And this spirit is now, Paul says, still at work in the sons of disobedience. Okay, so we're, we're dead. We've both transgressed the law of God. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We've, we've sinned. We've missed the mark. We're, follow, we're enslaved to the world. We're enslaved to, to Satan, to the devil, the world the, 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 and the devil. And then there's also the flesh. Look at verse 3. All right, there's this, this uh, spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. And we, we walked and lived like them in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Right, we're enslaved to the flesh as well. Now, it's, 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 it's Pride Month, and I, I feel I have to, to speak to this, and we have, I have in, uh, in the last few weeks. And, um, you know, I, I, I believe that it's, this, this month is not just about the LGBTQ movement, although it, it is, at least on, on the surface. But if you lift the hood of the movement, what's underneath it, the thing fueling it, driving it, the engine there, is an exaltation of the self. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's that the self has the resources within it to guide us in life. That if we follow, tap into it and follow our desires and, and follow the desires of the mind and the passions of the flesh, we can find flourishing. We can find the life that, that we want. Okay, and Paul, Paul here says, that's not it. That's not the way it works. That, that, that path is a road to nowhere, Paul says. Now, I, I mentioned this last week. I, I feel it's worth mentioning again. I think it's a helpful picture. You know, imagine that there is a, a sailor. He's new, new to the ship, new to the crew. Uh, he's an experienced sailor, but he's new to this particular boat. And they're going, making their way, and it's nighttime. And they're making all these weird moves. He doesn't know what, where the ship's going. It feels like the ship's just aimless. So he asks the captain, what in the world's going on? And the captain says, oh, yeah, you're, you're new here. We do things a little differently here. We actually, in order to navigate the waters by night, we follow the lantern that's on the bow of the ship, right there on the end of the ship. That's what we follow. Not the fixed north star, right? And so, of course, the ship's just tossing and moving about aimlessly because the the navigation system is within the thing itself. It's not in reference to something outside of itself. It's like the North Star, right? Something that's fixed. And so it is with this view of the self. that We're not meant to, to make our way in the world by using our own passions of our flesh and desires as the compass. We have to look outside of ourselves to get along in the world. Another image, if you like, to look within is like a dog chasing its tail, right? Looking to itself for its own direction, for its own kind of goal, telos. Just going in circles. It's a road to nowhere. So we're trapped. This is what Paul says. Apart from Christ, we're trapped. We're trapped in a labyrinth of the world, the flesh, the devil. And not just are we trapped, but we're, 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 we're dead, in verse 3, there's a consequence, Paul says. We are by nature children of wrath like the rest. Of, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
And here's the thing. We're all in this state. All of us together. Humanity, globally, we're in this position. In, as the Puritans like to say, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. That Adam's transgression has worked its way down to us. So that we have been born. Our default position in this world is what Paul describes in these three verses. Paul says, and our faith teaches us, that there is a single solution to this predicament that we find ourselves in as human beings. Single solution. And it's God's intervention. It's God's intervention. So we're going to consider that now. You know, think about it. The size of the problem determines the scope of the solution. The size of the problem that you face determines the scope of the solution. Like if you scrape your knee, a Band-Aid is the solution for that. You know, it provides some protection. If you're five and under, it provides a little psychological relief. The Band-Aid. If, 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 but here, if, if it's a car wreck... If you're in a car wreck, Band-Aid's not the solution, right? You may need to go to the hospital and have some serious work done if it's a serious car accident, right? If you have strep throat, antibiotic is your answer. If you have cancer, an antibiotic won't do the trick. You, you need something more serious intervention like chemotherapy. So what Paul is describing here is a severe problem that humanity faces, so we, we kind of ask ourselves, well, what's the solution? Is it better psychological treatment? Is it um, daily devotions? Is it daily affirmations? Is it following the five pillars of Islam? Is it yoga on a regular, counseling? I mean, all, all these things that we pursue. Are these the answers for, for treating this problem within the human heart? The scriptures say, no, that's treating cancer with a Band-Aid. We're dead. We're dead. Telling yourself every day, looking in the mirror and telling yourself, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and people like me. It's not the answer. This is what Paul says. It's not the answer. We need a more serious intervention. And Paul explains what that intervention is. Verse 4. But God. These are two of the best words in all the scripture. But God. God has intervened. And with those two words, God into the seemingly irreversible tide of human sin and brokenness and rebellion and failure, all of a sudden, hope enters the picture. There's hope. God has intervened. And he has brought about an incredible transformation of fate for us. And what's the basis of his intervention in the world? Look at verse 4. The richness of his mercy precisely what we needed his mercy we couldn't handle his justice his just remember the song we just sang justice smiles his justice didn't apart from christ his justice didn't smile towards us we were paul says verse three what, what does it say we were children of wrath by nature his justice frowned his justice his holy righteousness doesn't tolerate sin and that's we we, we believe that's good even though it causes pause in our hearts. And I'm not going to explain that now. But we believe that's good. But his mercy has inter- interceded, has come into the picture. And then, continuing, richness and mercy. And it says, what, uh, the basis for God's intervention, because of the great love with which he loved us. 
Because of the great love with which he loved us, it kind of, it sounds a little circular, doesn't it? It is. And that's good news. Think about, like, if if you're a spouse and you ask your spouse, um, you know, do you love me? And the spouse replies, yes, I love you. And you say, well, why do you love me? How do you respond? I love you, your beauty. Well, beauty fades. Personality, that can fade. Accidents happen. Brain injuries, there's people get old, they age, they might lose their personality. Sense of humor, well, that can fade. Maybe you're not funny anymore. Why, why do you love me? The answer is I love you because I love you. Because I've set my love upon you. It's apart from any grounding in you. It is my love is set upon you. That's the best kind of love. It's unconditional love. Wilson, uh, Wilson Van Hooser just had a baby yesterday. And let's just think, I was thinking about this this morning. What, what was his night of sleep like last night? Probably wasn't great. Maybe it was fine. What was Grace's night of sleep like last night? That's the better question. Not good, right? What's his budget look like now? A lot more diapers in that budget. They're costly. Um, his, 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 his budget has gotten tighter. His sleep has gotten has shrunk. His time has been shrunk. There's more demands upon him. There's more crying in his household, right? This little, this little eight-pound life is just taking and taking and taking from Wilson and his family. But, but does he love her? Of course he does. Just any parent, you, you, this, this life you, you love apart from all of those things. You love them because you love them. That's the kind of love that God has showed towards his church. That's what Paul is saying. Because of the great love with which he loved us. He loved us because he loved us. Well, what has he done with this great love? Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See the sweeping turn of events that's happened for us? You were dead You were enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil. But God has intervened because of the great love with which he loved us, because of his richness and mercy, and he's made us alive. Just as he made Christ alive there in the the tomb, he brought him back to resurrected life. He's brought your dead souls to life in him. He's brought you to life. And not just that. Look, Look at how our lives follow just exactly with Christ's trajectory. He... He, uh, he raised us up with him, just as Christ was ascended to the heavenlies. His, his ascension, there's the resurrection, there's the ascension, and then what's called the session, where Christ is ruling at the right hand of God. He's seated as Lord over all creation. He says he seated us with him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. He's given us the exact destiny that Jesus has. That's what he's done. He's, he's raised us from, from spiritual death to life. He's lifted us up to the heavens, and he's seated us at the right hand of the Father to rule and reign over all creation with Christ. Be co-kings with Christ, kings and queens with Christ. That's what he's done. That's what Paul is saying. Now, you may say, well, wait a second. This is still Oklahoma, right? I don't, this isn't heaven. It's not heaven. Um, he's, he's anticipating a future that is as, as, as sure as... I mean, think of it this way. If you've ever been, um, 
If you've ever moved from a place and it was really difficult in your heart, you were physically in a particular locale, but your, your heart was really back home, wherever that was. That's, that's what Paul is describing. Our, our, our future is certain. We will be reigning with Christ in, in the new heavens and the new earth. But at the same time, our heart's longing our, is in heaven. That's what Paul is saying. Okay, let's, let's keep looking. I, I, let me say this too. Uh, it took me a while to figure this out, but the, the, the Kentucky Derby was an in, incredibly intriguing race this year with a little local interest for us. Um, there's a guy in Edmond who frequents a bar at uh, Western Memorial who uh, is a gas, gas guy, um, had, you know, I guess enough money to think about getting into the old horse racing game. And so he bought a horse for $30,000, which is peanuts for a racehorse. I mean, it's nothing. And he, bought, he hires a trainer, he's got a jockey, so they're just kind of exploring this, trying to figure this thing out. And his trainer says, I think we've got a pretty good horse on our hands. And he said, well, how good do you think we're talking here? He said, I, we, we, let's, let's just kind of see what happens, but let's, let's plan things out, space our races out to where maybe, just maybe, if everything kind of works out, no injuries, no, no, we can get into the Kentucky Derby. And so everything worked out. The horse kept winning. But here's the problem. The horse did not qualify for the, for the Derby, the Kentucky Derby. 21. There's 20 horses that qualify in the Kentucky Derby. And Rich's Strike, that's the name of the horse, was 21. Oh, he missed the cut. But guess what? Horse number 20 went down with an injury. So up they call Rich's Strike. Last place horse in the worst spot in the track on the outside lane. The gun fires. Rich's strike starts, you know, galloping. The horse weaves his way from last in the pack and wins the race, wins the Kentucky Derby. Nobody, nobody saw it coming. Such an incredible upset. And we love that story, don't we? You should watch the race. You can see it on YouTube. It's, it's really quite something to watch. Got, they've got to make a movie um, out of this. Incredible story. But here's the thing. It's an underdog story. And we love underdog stories. We love stories of somebody that doesn't belong in the race showing up and winning the race. That's our story. That's what Paul is saying. We don't belong reigning in glory with God the Father. But God. But God. Right? But God, that's the, that's the point. God has intervened, and he's taken our lowly, hopeless, dead estate, and he's raised us not just to life, but to life reigning with the Lord in the heavens. It's an incredible turn of events that Paul is describing. And what's the purpose? Why is he doing this? Why would God be so gracious to us? Verse 7, Paul tells us, so that... In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us who are in Christ Jesus. This is why the creator of all things, who owns all things, has all resources available to him. He wants to shower and lavish those resources, those blessings on us for all eternity. He wants to give us all that he has for ages to come. That's why. I mean, it's, it's, it's too good to be true. But Paul says this, this is what's happened. And look at verse 8. Again, and he, we, we've seen this word grace pop up so many times. 
But Paul says again, by grace you have been saved through faith. It, this is not your own doing. You didn't do anything. You were dead. Remember, dead people don't do anything. They just receive. It's, it's the gift of God, verse 9. It's not the result of work so that no one may boast. You did nothing to receive it. Paul's, uh, I'm sorry, Martin Luther said, how, how, does, how is a person justified? How is a person receive uh, justification, Christ's righteousness? He said, well, it's like the ground receives the rain, the rain waters. You know, I mean, what, is the, what does the ground do to receive the waters? Nothing. It just doesn't yell for them. It screams. It just sits there. And all of a sudden, the rainwaters come, and it gives life. And Luther says, that's how God's grace has come to We didn't do a thing. It wasn't even the, you prayed the prayer because God's grace intervened in your life. That's what got you down the aisle if you walked the aisle. That's what got you to raise your hand if you raised your, whatever the moment was where you came into this family of faith, it, it, was, it, was, it was God's work doing it. It was by grace. It wasn't your wit. It wasn't your charm. It wasn't your cute looks or your affable nature or your spiritual proclivities or insight. It was nothing. And as a result, there's nothing that we boast in but Christ and His, His, His cross. It's so humbling. It's so disarming. Let's keep going. Verse 10 it says, we, Paul says, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are His workmanship. And a better uh, translation might even be masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. What, what God is doing is He is taking um, broken, dead parts and He's making a, a holy temple for his dwelling, the church. We are, we are stones in this temple, and he's building this masterpiece that, as Paul will say in the next chapter, uh, or chapter three, actually, he said, yeah, the next chapter, that three does come after two, right? Yeah. So what Paul says in the next chapter is that um, there's a heavenly audience that's peeking in to see, that's captivated by what God is doing through his church. It's an incredible thing. I, there's a story, uh, I've mentioned this before, but it's, it's a good one, about Bob Taylor of Taylor uh, Guitars, who um, received criticism that his guitars were not like great guitars, they just kind of used the best equipped parts, but as far as like being a guitar craftsman, Bob Taylor couldn't make a good guitar, and so he... He didn't like that criticism, so he said, I'm going to prove these guys wrong. And so he went to their warehouse, and he got wooden pallets. He got all these shoddy parts, and he worked those parts into this beautiful guitar. And when you played it, the sound was just perfection. And it's, it's, as I understand it, the guitar is actually hanging in their corporate offices as an emblem that Bob Taylor can make a good guitar. And something like that is going on here. That God is taking the, the, the have-nots, the broken, the rejected, the rebellious, the dead, and by grace, He's bringing them in, and He's perfecting us to demonstrate to this world and worlds unseen that He's a beautiful architect, that He's a beautiful designer, that He can make something good and glorious out of nothing. That's what He's doing. Now, as, as we, as we kind of come head-on with the grace of God, 
Remember I said, this is how Christ has, has rescued you. You didn't do anything. Uh, your righteousness, just like the screen's white behind me and it's this line, it's just projected. It's just, it's there and it hits you. Just like the white screen receives it, it's not even asking for it. It's just there. That's how, that's how Christ, God's love in Christ and Christ's righteousness comes to us. It hits us. That's by grace, right? Now, the natural question that arises is, well, if, if my sin makes God's grace abound, shouldn't I just keep on sinning? That's sort of the, the conclusion. Paul says that, right? He's explaining all this in Romans, and he says, well, shall we keep sinning so that grace may uh, increase, grace may abound? Doesn't this just lead the way for me to kind of do whatever I want with my life? No. Paul says, look, look what he says here. We were created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If, if, if your conclusion from all of this love that God has shown you is, oh, cool, I can do whatever I want. You've not, you've not been grabbed by the love. The grace hasn't grabbed you. You haven't been shocked by it. It, it shocks us into obedience. It, it makes gratitude the driver of our obedience, not fear of whether we're making the cut, but gratitude. And we move forward in works of love. So there you have it. We're worse than we realize. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 gives us a pretty good description of where we were. And because of indwelling sin, we still struggle in those ways. But we've got a new identity in Christ. For those that are in Christ, there's a new identity. And it's everything Paul says. It's, it's, it's the intervention of God in verses 4 through 10. His love is far greater than we could ever imagine. And that is the driver for our work in this world. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this clear description of just what's happened to us, for us, in us. We pray that you would help us to believe it as we carry on in this world, seeking to obey you. We, we, we long, our hearts want to live out of the passions of our flesh. We want to live um, with, our, with, with, with ourselves as kings, following uh, the course of this world. We, we, we do want that at times, and forgive us for that, and we pray that you would grab us by your beauty. Keep pulling us back uh, by your mercy onto the course that you set us on. And if, if there's those here that have not come to faith, that have not turned to you and repented of this propensity to, 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 to live in orbit around the world, the flesh and the devil, that you would um, grab those hearts this morning and awaken them to the, to the good news of what's on offer to the world in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.